Actually, I, I could I could see you on the pulpit. I could see you doing stuff like that. I'd be good. Are you serious? Oh yeah. No, I'd actually, I think you would be good at it. That's what I'd worries the hell out of me. I'd yes. give a great little sermon. I'd give a great sermon. It'd be oh, dramatic. Oh. When I mentioned hell, flash pots would go off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'd really jazz yeah. it up. It'd be like Kiss meets Alice Cooper meets Twisted the, Sister the, meets the Uncanny X Men. The turmoil of sin, there'd be strobes <laughs> going off, it'd be <laughs> creepy and psychedelic. Oh yeah. It was it wasn't it A C D C who did the didn't Bond do the one of the clips where he was on a yeah, pulpit let doing there that? be rock. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Not one of their better songs. No, but uh was uh, a unique film clip. A very good idea. Welcome to Life of Brian dot 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 Mannix, that is. An unusual introduction, but there you go. These things happen. How are you, Father Brian? <laughs> Well, I've just got out of bed. Uh, uh, thanks, oh. uh, Kevin. Thank you, my son. And um, <laughs> you know, it's it's ten past two. I've been out of bed for a good fifteen minutes. So, uh, so far, that nothing's gone wrong with the day. I'm pretty happy. More of the sacrament wine, uh, Father Brian. Well, I think I just get some water and I'll turn it into wine myself. I'm sure you will. Welcome to the show. Thanks to our good friends at Murcott's uh, Driving Excellence. That's murcott's.edu.au. 576 and they'll turn you into a better driver. They can't perform miracles, but they, they can make you a little better. Brian, we leave the miracles to Brian. The mm. uh, normal human kind of uh, turning you into a better driver, we do that with Murcott's. I'm just walking on water as we speak. I'm sure you are. Great show. Stephen Kilby. Actually, I've got a mate. Oh, Stephen yes. Kilby's a mate How? now? Oh, you've, you've bonded with him, have you? Half an hour on the... On oh, I the... found him really, really interesting. Me too. And a lot of his thoughts are very similar to mine and that he likes to work quickly. Um, and, yeah, no, I won't give too much away because... He's really, really interesting and I think it's one of our better interviews, Kev. I agree. And we're going to play in this uh, podcast a couple of songs from uh, Hall of Counterfeits. We talked to Roger Mason about it, who's the, I guess, the major instrumentalist and musician behind uh, this this album. But uh, we talked to him a, a couple of episodes back about it uh, and he had some really fascinating things to say. And Stephen's got some fascinating things to say about Roger, but uh, the music itself is actually really good. So I think you're going to enjoy that as well. And what was really good too, uh, Kev, is that Roger told us about all these crazy instruments that he he had, <laughs> but Steve actually tells us what they are and what they do. So we're, we're far more informed about uh, the whole process now. He must be the roadie's nightmare, Roger Mason, because he had got so many bits and pieces <laughs> and things, you know, described as a, a, a really long banjo with a, a, a really long sort of stick with a banjo thing on the end of it. It's, it's like a Middle Eastern banjo with a really long neck or something yes, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll get to Stephen Kilby shortly. And Fiona Horn's going to join us. Fiona's... Uh, the very aptly named Fiona Horn. The... Very aptly named The Fiona duo Horn. that she is involved with is called Spiff and Fifi. What? 
settle down. Um, it's not what you think. So that sounded a bit filthy. For a <laughs> oh, my See, I just that knew that that's where you take this. Spiff and Fifi, there's a project that she's done, and we're going to find out about this amazing Spiff one. Spiff on who? <laughs> Can I find out Spiff about on this? Fifi. Would you stop it? Is that what it's called? <laughs> Spiff on Fifi. It's not. Poor old Fifi. Spiff and Fifi. Oh, that's right. That's better. their nicknames. It's uh, it's David and uh, and Fiona, and uh, they've uh, they've got this amazing love story. We're going to find out all the I details that of that. This is a good month for us. It is. We don't normally have. It's like a bit of a Mills and Boone love story today. Yeah, yeah it is. We don't normally do love stories on the show, but this is a beauty. Only the one where you love you. Well, there's that one which we do, which which we visit every week. The, on, the ongoing one, the ongoing love love saga of Brian and Brian. Oh goodness <laughs> me! And we're going to play. They've done a, a version of Stumbling In, which is another song that we've spoken about on this podcast with the lady who did the original version of it, Susie Quattro. Oh, our old friend Susie. I was talking to her during the week. Oh yeah, me and Mickey Dolan's and her thing. We might get together for a bit of a jam. Uh, Alice is going to come down too, so I'll just play a bit of guitar, let Alice sing. Alice and Mickey can sing and Susie can play bass and we've got a good little band. Beautiful. Leo so, Sayer can come down and play some, you know, tambourine, maybe do a few harmonies. It'd be great. Yep. It, John Ro- Johnny Rotten to come in at some stage? John, I forgot about our old mate Johnny Rotten. Yeah, Johnny can come down. <laughs> he can do whatever he friggin' likes. <laughs> exactly how he's... He grab the microphone and swear at people. I don't care. Who <laughs> 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 don't know how people song we could play? <laughs> stop it, stop it. It's bloody awful. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's get to Stephen right. Kilby uh, to talk about everything that he's up to at the moment and, of course, and to relive some of those fabulous days of the church. And I can tell you, we'll play a little bit uh, during this interview of that, that magical version that's been done of Under the Milky Way, that's coming up. So enjoy uh, our chat with Stephen Kilby here on the Life of Brian podcast. Hi, Kevin. Here we are. How are you? I'm pretty good. That's good. I'm uh, pushing the multiple choice button here and adding Brian Mannix to the equation now. Hey, Steve. Hi, Hi, Mannix. Hi, Brian. How are you going? Very well, thanks. Very well indeed. Thanks for doing this. No worries. Steve, um, how are you? I mean, uh, you've you've had uh, you've had an incubation period like the rest of us. How have you handled it? Incubation period. What you're talking about? COVID. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I don't I don't talk about fucking COVID. Are we allowed to say fuck <laughs> yeah, or not? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Fuck. 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 <laughs> I don't talk about COVID. And you're never going to hear me go. Here's a song about lockdown. You know. <laughs> it's just, I just try and work around it, not everybody else talking about it, so I don't want to talk about it. But I've been really busy. I've been playing a lot. I've been recording a lot, doing a lot of things, yeah, keeping myself busy. We spoke to Roger the other week, and um, yeah, he, he was telling us that you like to work really, really quickly when you're in the studio. You don't I do. Want, yeah. I, do. I don't want to hang around. I don't want to hang around. I don't want to have agonizing. I don't want to have 500 versions to mention the best version. I don't want people to know the song very well, and then when they're when it's done, I they there's no time around gloating over what they've done. We just keep forging ahead, and that's partially because I am impatient. I have a very short attention span, and also because I'm paying for it myself. <laughs> so um, there's no time for sitting around reminiscing and playing pinball or waiting for lunch. Which you know, you eat your lunch as you play. You know you. The cello's on one side and your sandwich is on the other and we just keep going. Working them really hard and trying to trying to capture the music with the spontaneity while they still don't really know it. 
And, you know, two of my heroes did it this way, Bob Dylan and David Bowie, are both like, here's the fucking song, learn to play it, you're going to get two takes at the most, you better do it. And there it was, you know, just looking partially impatient and partially because I believe that the fresher it is, the better it's going to sound. I don't want, I don't want something perfect and what happened in the 80s when everybody started laboring over music and sort of when the church made our successful records, it's all kind of sewed together and 500 vocal takes choosing a syllable from this. And this. I hate all of that. I think music should be bang, like flat people playing together, improvising, jamming, bouncing off each other, get it done and do something else. Yeah, I agree. And I, I know with um, some of the recordings I've done, if you, if you labour too long on it, the guitarist can think of 49 different parts that they, they want can. to put on it. And, <laughs> they can. And, yeah. and then and you're then trying not to only that, through this shit, not, trying to find it, which is, yeah, I know. And not only do the guitarists think of 49 things to do, but then they leave and go, you guys sort it out. You choose <laughs> So it's like they create this big mess and then leave. Yeah. And then, yeah. So no bugger that. No, that's all finished. It's just like you've got two takes, do it, and then now go in and do something else. And for me, that's working. And I'm I'm sort of, I'm making the music I want to make because I'm paying for it. So as opposed, to, you know, the old days when somebody else is paying for it. Yeah. And you've got all the time in the world, and and everything's happening slowly. And I, I like instantaneous gratification. Yeah. Is that because you've got less people kind of in your ear these days than you had back in the 80s? Is that help as well? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, back in the 80s, so hard to fight the zeitgeist. I didn't want to make records like that. But it's like I, I didn't want it to be. I didn't understand why what they were going for, all that perfection, well, especially when the Americans would come in and start picking on your drummer. Because, you know, oh, the song's sped up by one BPM at the end. It's like, what's wrong with that? That's part yeah. of the palette that you have with music is speeding up and slowing down. And all that stuff, are we going to record the toms separately? Just play the drum kit and then we'll record the toms later. And then, you know, we're going to have all the horrible, those horrible DX7 keyboards they tried to put all over everything. <laughs> uh, just, I, I don't know what they were trying to do. When, when the snare drum became the most important thing and you would choose a producer by the sort of snare drum sound it gets. So a guy who <laughs> make a snare drum sound like... <laughs> that was the guy you got on your record. <laughs> every, you know, every second bar, there's this enormous explosion of, a, of what a, a snare drum was supposed to be. And it was so hard. It's like when you're in the middle of all that, in the middle of new romantics and um, fucking our ballet and all that sort of stuff and people going, you should be like this, we want you to be like this, we want you to look like this and you're kind of going, no. I realised that was so hard at the time to fight all of that. Now looking back on it, I can see exactly what the problem was. Since I am a class, I'm a rock and roll classicist. To me, records should fucking sound like the Beatles and Bowie and Dylan. They're, they're the kind of the, tr- the snare drum isn't the most important thing in my world. It's just kind of the lyrics and the and the song. And those guys, I don't know. I, no, I never even knew what they were after. But you just stand in and go, no, not that one. Sure <laughs> and nobody ever knew what they were looking for. And yeah, we were, we hated. By the time you, like we rehearsed, we rehearsed for a fucking month with Starfish. A month of playing nine pieces of music over and over being drilled by a guy 
that we were frightened of, like it was the teacher and we were learning our eight times table. Oh, but we wow. just go over and over and over. We had no idea. And you never dared say, it was heretical to say, this is bullshit. I don't want my record to sound like that. <laughs> Nowadays, now looking back on it, it's so obvious. But at the time, it was just, it was bewildering. What the, and they always pick, these American producers would always pick on the drummer. Always pick on the drummer and watch him like a hawk. And we had the most amazing Keith Moon-like drummer. He was like an explosion of intuitive energy. And they pinned him down and tried to, you know, the guy standing there glaring at him. The guy got tamer and tamer and tamer and tamer. And it was sort of like, I, I wish I could have intervened, but I didn't, I didn't sort of understand what was happening. Now I do, but it's too late. Yeah. What, That's my what, rant anyway. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean about those snare drums. I reckon on some of those Aerosmith records, they've got a cannon playing the snare. Yeah. But, yeah. But what that, about that Aussie Crawl song? Oh, Reckless. Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what else happens. This same boom, boom. <laughs> just goes right throughout the song. But as much, it's, it's, no, it's like a capture thing. There's no, um, it, yes, it is a solid beat, but there's no, no emotion in that. Why is the snare drum treated different? So you have this absurd situation where the snare drum is in a completely different sonic space to the rest of the kit. The rest of the kit might be relatively quiet, but then when the snare, it's like having one note on a guitar, like a hundred times louder than all the other notes. Every time you hear the C, the C goes, <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's really crazy. It's like, what a, why were we doing that? Because well, somebody overseas probably did it, so we thought we'd better have a go too. But uh, there you go. Yeah. What about when you're mixing, Steve? Do you take a long time mixing, or do you mix I don't go? I don't mix. I have a guy mixing for me, and he he mixes it, and then he I, I tell him kind of what I want, and then I'm lucky enough to have now fallen in with a guy who knows what I want, and he normally gets it right first or second mix, and then he sends it back to me. He sends it back to me, and then I. Or go, yeah, I think the vocal should be a bit louder or something. But I, I don't. My ears, first of all, my ears are shot and I've got no more treble. Yeah, I, I've never been big on mixing. I'm too impatient. Oh, well, you've got over a thousand songs. I was doing a bit of math on yeah. that. That's about 50 hours of original music you've produced, probably more. That's a lot of music. It doesn't sound like much when you just say 50 hours, does it? Well, it's a whole weekend without getting any sleep. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm 66. That's mm. only, it's only an hour of like just over an hour for each each year of my life. When you look at it that way, it's not yeah. that much, is it? Well, still pretty prolific. So you obviously write prolifically. Um, like do you write every day or do you just write notes or what, what, tell us about your process? Um, when I need to write, I just sit down and write. I smoke marijuana and write like I always have done, right? Getting a smoke yep. a joint, I pick up my guitar and the music just flows. I don't, I've never had writer's block and I never struggle. I can Jeez. just write whenever I want to. I just sort of tap into it and there it is. Sometimes I, if I hear, a, hear an interesting kind of word or phrase or I think of something, I'll, I might jot it down, but usually I just work with whatever I dream up at the moment, on that moment, you know? So do you, right, so do, do you write like you record? Do you finish the song or do you have, have you got... Fit, fit? Like, oh, instantly. I write it. Wow. If, if a song's four minutes long, it takes me four minutes to write it. Wow. You know, I like, 
I, I, I don't, I never struggle. I never, I don't have songs on the drawing board. You know, I write them, bang. There you go. It, come, it all comes really quickly when it happens. I, don't, I never, you know, when I meet people and go, I've got writer's block, I don't, I, I haven't had that yet. I mean, it could yeah. happen, but I doubt it. Well, there's always so much, so many areas to cover, you know, there's always another idea that hasn't been covered. Yeah. I, suppose. I, yeah. Remember I, I did a songwriting workshop once and this teenage boy said, I don't know what to write about. And I, I said, write about your girlfriend. He said, I don't have a girlfriend. I said, well, make one up. He said, well, all my friends will laugh at me then writing about a girlfriend I've made up. And I said, you think all of, you know, when you look at, say, Dylan, you think all the people he wrote, you know, I shot a, you know, they say I shot a man named Gray. I said, you think Dylan really shot a guy called Gray? You know, it's like, it's like, make it all up. Just dream it up. So there's, there's so much to write about. It's, it's just infinite. So I don't, I can't. It's hard for me to see how people do dry up. But yeah. So you've got your own studio, yeah? Do you no, record? no. I used to have my own studio, but when I was when I was a heroin addict um, in the nineties, I squandered all of all of my possessions, my studio and my house and my guitars and my sports car and all that. It all went up my arm. I'm studio less than I, but I I found this studio in Gosford, Damien Gerard, that used to be in Sydney. And this American guy who works there, who's the engineer and co-producer on stuff, and it just works out perfectly for me. And it does cost a lot of money, but um, it's sort of worth it. And and because it costs a lot of money, I work hard and fast. Right? There's no no time for any break. We just work all day long. Yeah, fair enough. Does the American guy pick on your drummer? No, <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. Because you don't need to. Because it's Barton Price. Oh, yeah, um, right. Barton Price is just the best drummer. You know, we record the songs. I just have an acoustic guitar, and we record all the songs like that with Barton, and he just he and I just play along. And it's amazing when all the instruments go on at the end. It sounds like Barton was hearing them, and is sort of responding to right. to things that aren't even there yet. He's just a wonderful drummer. That it, it's such a lovely feeling when you have an engineer and you have musicians that you can completely trust, and, you, and they totally understand what you want them to do. That's a wonderful feeling. And they're willing and they're there. There's no one's there for the money. There's no fucking money in this. It's just that they're there to have fun as opposed to a sort of a rigid band who go, oh, I don't want to fucking play your song. And you have committee meetings oh, about yeah. voting for songs and, and then everybody's got a different idea of what it's all about. It's not like that with this. It's like we're all we're all trying to push the boundaries of what we can do, and it's, it's not it's not for money, and we're not attached to the result either. Um, it's all very Buddhist. We we produce this work. We're not attached to it. Probably it's, it's not going to sell. It's not going to make any money. And but the people who hear it will we hope will really love it. And that's yeah. It, it's a so much better place to make a record like that when you're doing what you want rather than it's 1990 and you're in LA and everybody in the band sort of arguing with each other and the producer trying to trying to do his thing. Yeah. yeah. And you talk about playing um, guitar. I've always wondered why, you know, as a singer, it's probably easier to play guitar because you can stop and, you know, let the vocals have a bit more space. But as a bass player, you've got to keep playing all the way through pretty much. So do. why did you play, pick the bass rather than well, the guitar? Well, this is, a tr- this is a true story. I wanted to be a bass player. I guess a bit like 
Greg McCain. I wanted to be a bass player who wrote songs and somebody else sang them. And then the first gig, we had this band in Canberra, and the first gig that we did, the singer looked around the curtain and said, there's all these bullies um, from my school here, and they're going to beat my fucking head in <laughs> if, I, if I go out there and sing. And I looked around the corner and went, well, there's bullies from my school too, and they were all looking at me like, what, you, how dare you get up on a stage <laughs> with an electric guitar? <laughs> and I thought, I don't care. I, I've got to do this. And the guy ran away. That my mate, who was going to be the singer, he ran away. It was at the O'Donnell Youth Centre in Bratton, and we're <laughs> talking like 1973. And he and he left. And the guitarist and the drummer looked at me and went, "Well, man, now your songs. What are you going to do?" So I went out there and sang my songs and played my bass. Just that's the way it was ever ever since. And um, you kind of um, and then your kind of mind figures out a way to do that. So it's not hard. It isn't hard to play. In fact, playing guitar and singing is harder for me than playing bass because it's a oh. different rhythm. Yeah, okay. Bass is a great place to lead the band, and and all of the changes really come from bass. And I read an article the other day on the internet that said people actually, whether you believe this or not, people when they hear a song, they respond to what the bass is doing because the bass in rock and roll, the bass is really dictating the real changes. The guitars might be sort of frothing around on the top or playing little licks and stuff, but it's the bass that's telling you what's really going on. And it was, it's like that in the church as well. It's a good place. It's a good place to conduct the band and yeah. sort of um, from the bass. So I, I'm, I'm so glad it worked worked out that way. So did you yeah, get beaten sir. up? What? Did you? No, get... <laughs> I never did. <laughs> did I didn't. Not? I did. I sort of. They sort of had cognitive <laughs> dissonance. I think I went out there and played my played my bass and sang my stupid songs and they were kind of like, oh, they must have admired my audacity because although I was chicken when it came to fighting, you know, it takes a lot of balls to get up on a fucking stage. It really does. Yeah. You know that? Yeah. It's like, it's not, you know, you might get the fucking, the biggest thug of a rugby league player who can go out there and beat beat up 10 men with his hands tied behind his back, but put him up on a stage and give him a microphone, he's going to be, oh! So it's, it's different courage for different situations. I guess the way I never got beaten up was because they sort of just admired my audacity of doing it in the first place, which none of them could, as tough and as nasty as they were, none of them could do it. Yeah. Long time ago, space was calling Long time ago, the apple was falling It's been a long day 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 Long time ago Earth was created Long time ago It was infiltrated You kept me away 
in Europe and having had no success in Europe myself, what was, tell us about Europe and America if you could. Yeah, we, um, we, we got a lot of really great critical reviews in England and in Europe and then we sold a lot of records in America, but we were never really a sort of, never saw it, I never, because I'm English, okay, so, but yeah, you know, I spent most of my life in Australia, but I've never thought of myself as either English or Australian. But I certainly felt when I was writing that what I was writing was international. It wasn't, um, it's not pub rock, you know? It was like, yeah. and I could, I wanted to make it everywhere. I wanted to be successful in Australia, but I wanted to be successful everywhere. I think our music has a lot of sort of European influences. It's quite literary. It's like as we progressed, it sort of became, it sort of became turned into kind of art rock, I guess. For one of a better word, it's not like you know, I'm rocking with my baby. It's not that. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised when they did like it. I, you know, that we were always aiming for that to, to have some, to sort of get out of Australia and play. And in nine, in 2020, I had a massive world tour organised, playing everywhere in Europe, 
we were doing a, a church conference in England and we were going to do like a huge tour of America, including playing at this Cruel World Festival with everybody who was anybody from the 80s. So, wow. you know, all of that got closed down. You know, I've been very lucky that I can, I can go over and play in America and there's still a lot of demand for it. Yeah, yeah, wish, wish I could. That'd be great. Always good to have. Steve, how do, you, how do you feel when, uh, you know, Under the Milky Way has bobbed up again in a, a, on a soundtrack of, for an Australian film of recent times? How do you yeah. feel when you hear other people singing your songs? Because do you write them with you, your voice or do you write them just as because you, you write songs? Um, I just write songs. I hope other people do them. I wish every, like there's like 500, literally 500 covers of Milky Way and almost no covers of any other songs. I wish people would cover some of my other songs I've become a bit immune to Under the Milky Way, but I did think that the girl who sang Under the Milky Way, um, Susie DeMarchi's daughter, I did think that was a particularly beautiful version. And other versions I've got to, of that song that I've got to give a guernsey to are Megan Washington did a beautiful version on oh, the right. piano. And, of course, uh, late, great Jimmy Little did a wonderful kind of laid-back kind of take on it. Um, but most people who do it kind of try and they sort of just do it like the original. And I'm not really, I, I'm sort of lost interest in listening to it unless, unless you're radically reinterpreting it. I just wish they'd just dig a bit deeper into my catalogue. I'm sure there's some other songs there people could do. I thought that was a lovely version in that, in that movie. I, I really like that girl singing it. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty. Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight And it's something quite peculiar Something shimmering and white It leads you here Despite your destination Under the Milky Way tonight Wish I
you write with your and, voice in your head when you write? Yeah. Well, I, I write. I guess I do. I, I, it's not in my head. I mean, I pick up a guitar and go, well, sometimes when it's blue and it's me, there I am singing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd love to write for other people, but no one ever asked me for anything. So <laughs> if somebody, anybody rang me up and said, you're writing a song, I guess I'd write for them with their voice in my head. Yeah, fair enough. Roger, tell us about all these instruments that he has. Yes. Like from Middle Eastern stuff. And That's saying, right. He was saying, I'm not sure they wanted me to play keyboard because they just liked all my instruments that he has. But can you tell us about some of his crazy instruments yeah. that he yeah. used? Okay, he's got he's got a hurdy gurdy. You know what that is? No, I don't. Hurdy gurdy is this Celtic instrument. You wind it, and it sort of goes. It can sound like a guitar feeding back. It can sound like a, it's like a drone. But it's also you can play notes on it. So we've got that, which wow. is a, like a a Celtic, deeply kind of Celtic thing. He's got hammer dulcimer, lap dulcimer which is a kind of a strange little instrument. He plays marvellous cello, which isn't exotic in itself, but the way he plays it. Uh, an incredible musician, he's taught himself to play the fucking cello. Can you believe that? Yeah, I never yeah. tried that in a million years. Yeah. He's taught himself to play the cello, but he doesn't have the attachment that a cellist would have for going, oh, that's what cello does. And he <laughs> plays it all over the place. He plays it right up high. And people have been saying me listen to the record, going, wow, I love the violin. So I'm going, that's actually Roger playing the cello up high. He's got a wow. kumbles. He's got What's an that? It looks like a giant banjo. It's great. It's like this great big long pole attached to this like banjo looking body and four strings. It's like a Turkish instrument. He's got an oud, O U D, another Turkish instrument. They're all kind of like a sort of Turkish or, or Middle Eastern sort of um, banjos and guitars. He's got a Swedish instrument called a nukulharpa, which nukul is a harpa. <laughs> a nukulharpa. Nukul, because I speak Swedish, so I know what that means. Nukul is the Swedish word for key. It's like this bizarre instrument that's sort of like a cross between a, a, a sort of a, a viola and it's got this kind of like weird little keyboard thing where you're sort of like, um, Look, like a bit like an auto harp. Oh. And he's got that. He's an absolute revelation. The record, he is the revelation. He's my favorite musician of all time, Roger Mason. He can play boogie woogie piano. He can play Irish piano. He can play jazzy, like David Bowie type piano. He's an incredible organist. He's great on synthesizers and things like that. And then he just he picks like you pick up a ukulele and make it sound like a medieval instrument. He's just the most marvelous musician, and he's he's so willing to do whatever you want him to do. Like he, he wants you to help him do something different, and that's sort of that's how I work best. Sort of giving musicians a context within which to play. Yeah. Like working, I'm not a fantastic musician, but I I'm a sort of I'm a sort of situationist. I can dream up situations and then get really good musicians in and kind of give them some direction as to what I think they should do, and then they kind of do things they wouldn't have normally done. So, but Roger's great for that. When you talk to musicians, like, I know myself sometimes, I'll say to the guitarist, no, 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 this one needs to be, look, this solo needs to sound like the guitarist hates being in the band. He really wants to be a heavy metal guitarist, but we're playing this psychedelic thing, so he's going to do a heavy metal guitar solo in the middle, and he's 18 and he's on speed. So there's your, that's your context. 
um, do you talk to them in like movie terms or in musical terms? Whatever works best. If, yeah, yeah. I I also talk in sort of terms like um, imagine you're in a train and you're really angry and you're feeling claustrophobic and you're going to express that with the instrument, or imagine you're lonely walking down a sort a, a beach in Northern Ireland in winter and you want to create the feeling of the fog. I try and use those sort of, yeah, I use those kind of terms as well. And sometimes very specifically, you know, going, don't play any third. Um, yeah, right. You know, whatever whatever yeah. they're going to respond to. Um, sometimes with really good players, my mission is to stop them doing the obvious thing. Yeah. Like, don't resolve. Don't make it pretty. Sort of breaking out of all that sort of 1980s stuff of where it was all, they were all trying to contain it, quantize it, and fucking auto-tune and all of these things. I'm trying to get away from all that, sort of creating natural music that's sort of like a jungle where everything's just luxuriant, growing wherever it likes, and, you know, things are all disproportionate, if they want, crumbling and flourishing. I'm trying to get that feeling into music, sort of get away from this stupid, I don't know, who's the epitome of everything I hate? I'm trying to think of it. I don't know. Total or something. Starship. Yeah, Starship. Yeah, we built this studio. Oh, yeah. Whatever that is. Or or, um, Foreigner. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to to move away from that rock and roll thing. Music by numbers. Music by committee. Committee. That's the worst one. Yeah, Yeah, music by committee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You need a a dictatorial democracy, they say. Yeah. But, you know... It's hard being the dictator, and I found out that in the early church. It was a lonely destiny. Yes, I could tell them what, all what to do, and I had the final say, but they were sort of, they were all treating me like a school teacher. So yep. I'd come in and go, I've got this new song, and the other three said, Who's got a new song? Okay, you're all going to learn this. Oh, it's a C, E minor, and a D, E minor. And then I found myself like a school teacher with three naughty boys rebelling against me, um, trying, to, trying to be the dictator. Because if you're going to be the dictator, be the ultimate dictator, be like Van Morrison, be like, fucking play this or get out. But my yeah. mistake was I was trying to be their mate and be a dictator. And it yeah. didn't, it, that, was the, that was the problem because we were sort of like a band. You know, like a band's a very complicated thing and it's a very complicated you're sort of like brothers, you're like business partners, and you're all in competition with each other. And yeah. every place you go, and there's people whispering in everybody's ears. You know, one of the guys in the church was saying to me all the time, my friends think I'm a better singer than you and I should be singer. And oh. I'm like, oh, really? Uh, you know, wow. How's that? You know, uh, another, and then the sort of thing of everybody should have one song on a record and. You have to be a musician. But you also have to be a sort of psychiatrist. You have to figure out how to work with other people. And if you're trying to order them around and be their friends, it gets very complicated. A lot of producers, they're like a psychiatrist, you know? Yeah. yeah. I've had a lot of producers say to me, fuck, I don't want to be a psychiatrist. Like, it's like um, I, I met a guy in the street the other day who was making a record. He said, I, he said, I tell the... Tell the musician, I'm telling musicians to bring their instruments and leave their fucking complexes at home. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't, but that's how it is, you know? Yeah. And usually, usually, the more talented the, the guys are, 
the more complexes and hang-ups and sort of problems they're going to have. That's a bit of a sort of a ratio I've noticed. But luckily now with Roger, he, he's the best musician in the world and he just wants to play. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't need psychoanalysis. He just wants to come in and play all these exotic instruments. And I'm glad in all that, that youthful sort of arrogance and anger and competition now is all over in this project. It's just people bending their minds and their experience to try and create the best music they possibly can, which yeah. isn't how it used to be in the church when it was all about, you know, in the old days with the original members, there's a lot of sort of envy and greed and arrogance and all of that, all the seven deadly sins all in each recording session where everybody was struggling to get on the top of the heap. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, hey, Steve, you're still painting? You're finding time to paint? I am painting. I am painting. I'm always painting. I'm always painting. I love to see the parallels in painting and music. Painting really has to be done in this kind of, I don't know, it's sort of, it's got to be light and easy and you kind of, you trust this thing to let you, let you paint rather than this kind of, this awkwardness. And you sort of, it's like you've got to get out of the way. I find that with music, with writing songs, your ego has to get out of the way and let this artist within you create. And my my ego ruins it all the time by jumping in. And so if you're always battling this sort of egotistical little sod against this deep inside you, there's this artist who's been alive for a million years and who really knows what to do. He's trying to kind of rise up to the top and do his wonderful thing, but you've got this ego that's sort of keeping him suppressed. It's about following your instincts rather than your brain. Thinking can be that's a... Right. Um, that's thinking, right. Thinking's that's overrated right. a lot. Thinking is overrated. Thinking and feeling is much better. Yeah. But I we agree. all know, I And we all know that now, but why didn't we know that when we were 25? Because that's when we screwed yeah, it up. That's the problem with life, isn't it? Youth <laughs> is wasted on the young. Yeah. And by the, time, by the time you figured it all out, it's time to die and start all over again. And hopefully in your next life, when you come across these problems that stumped you in this life, a little voice might go, okay, we know what to do with that, you know, because we've kind of been yeah. through it before. Yeah. Are you touring at all with the, the new record? We're doing a little tour. We've done a few dates and we're doing a few more. They're very small, kind of not particularly salubrious gigs. I mean, obviously, I'd rather be playing at the State Theatre than at the Arson Racket in Queanbeyan, but... You yeah. know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. You know, nobody, all the people who want to hear the church don't particularly want to hear this. So it's it's hard going trying to con, somehow convince them that they might like it. So oh. although the church can play at the Palais and the State Theatre, when when I do things like this, I'm back to sort of a 100-seater pub. And it's a bit hard in every way to do that. And I'm just sort of, I'm still really struggling with it at the moment, playing these little places on small stages to not many people. It's not much fun, I tell you. So creating music is, is the number one priority for you and performing it is well down the list? No. I love all aspects. I love creating. I love performing. I love recording. I've still gotten spoiled by playing reasonably big places. And when I go back to tiny little places, that aren't, aren't many people and it's a small stage and yeah. all of that. I don't, it's hard to sort of adjust. It's funny how 
all those people who love the church don't really want to hear my solo album. It's understandable, though. It's like, you know, Paul McCartney. You know, people talk forever about, you know, Paul McCartney wrote a note. I saw a whole magazine based on a note McCartney wrote to Lennon about a little letter about something. There's a whole magazine sort of wrote of that. But he released it as a solo album. Nobody wants to hear it. So I understand why that happens. Uh, why people are obsessed with nostalgia in the past. But still, when it, when it happens to you, it's sort of hard to, it's a bit hard to handle. Yeah. yeah. If you're a carpenter, it's like if I was going to hire a carpenter and I got a 24-year-old carpenter, and they go, oh, yeah, he's probably okay. But if I got a 50-year-old carpenter, he's probably a lot better than the 24-year-old because he's been doing it for so long. Yeah. Music, or, if you're, or more saliently, if you were turning up to have a brain tumour removed, would you <laughs> yeah. want a 24-year-old surgeon or a 60-year-old? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll take the 60-year-old. There you go. Yeah. Absolutely. The 24-year-old surgeon would have what they said about the church in the early days, a blaze of aloof beauty and psychedelic arrogance about him, I would have thought. Oh, God, that's the last thing you want when someone's pulling your brains out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, the Hall of Counterfeits, uh, that's, that people will be able to get that fairly soon or is that available now? Or? It's, 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 uh, it's, it's on your local streaming platform Beautiful. and it's available, yeah. Because we played, we played it when we had Roger on the podcast. We played Arcadia, which is a really, it's really interesting. It's it's like I said to to Brian when we were talking about the the, the music that you're doing now. It's a journey. It's like it's like you're going on a journey somewhere. It's not like you're just sitting there listening to a three minute song. No, that the whole album's a journey, and each song's a journey. That, yeah. That's the idea. It's it's escapism. Yep. It's it's like if you don't want to think about COVID and economics, and you know whether China's going to start a war and whether whether your landlord's going to let you out of your rent and, you know, all of this stuff. Here's a record of pure escapism that has no politics. And a lot of it's set in the ancient world, so it's not even about contemporary life. It's, it's just entertainment and it's fun. You know, it's a very light-hearted record as well. Uh, what's your favourite Stephen Kilby story about, you know, the, the halcyon days of, you know, hostesses yelling out, hey, stop the plane, it's the church? Yeah, how was that? That really happened. Um, that really happened. Could you imagine that. nowadays we're at the Gold Coast, um, it was 1982, and we're at the Gold Coast Airport, and our, we got there late, and our plane was taxiing down the, the, the runway, and we ran out the door and waved, and one of the hosties went, it's the church, and really did. And they lowered the things, the plane stopped, they lowered the things, we got on, and we all got upgraded to business class. I mean, imagine nowadays if you ran out on, if you could, if you ran out on the tarmac and waved at the plane, there'd be like 50 guys with machine guns going, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. (laughs) Things were different. Things were so different, especially civil aviation, you know. Things have changed. You used to be able to get under your seat and sleep as well. And a certain rock band used to smoke hashish and snort cocaine all the way to London and back, you know, as we... As we sat in, and 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 the famous, maybe you recognise this voice. Go, Gilby, come down here. And you go down the back of the plane, and there's your manager smoking a joint, and going, and with a line chopped out on his fucking <laughs> on the tray table. <laughs> Give me those days again. 
A most interesting man is Stephen Kilby, and it was fantastic to have him on the program. And have him on again tomorrow if we have. Oh, a look, he was tomorrow. great. And I know I was speaking to uh, our mate from Cheap Trick, Robin Zander, during oh, the week. Here we and go. He, and he was looking forward to listening to this <laughs> interview, Steve. He's a big fan of the band. And now, that um, song that we played in there from uh, from the uh, Hall of Counterfeits album, which mm. is available on Spotify, I might point out, and all the uh, all the platforms, as uh, as Steve mentioned, that's called Love Song Yet To Be Named. I like that a lot. I think that's really good. And we're going to play another one to finish the show off called Swinging On The Moon. That's coming up a little later. Well, on. you're not alone in loving that song. I was speaking to Dawn Fraser during the week, oh, and uh, she's a big fan of that one. <laughs> and Alice Cooper likes that one as well. So, mm. you know, you've got Dick good Smith, company. did you ring Dick? I rang Dick, and mm. um, he didn't answer, so there was no Dick. I'm a bit worried about Dick, actually, so I'll, <laughs> I'll have to chase him out because I'd hate to think that he's, you know, fallen yeah. over and oh, just lying on the floor. Oh, he's probably with Steve Waugh or Sam Newman or Dennis Cometti. Well, or, he could um... be with uh, Steve Waugh <laughs> Stan Newman or Dennis Cometti. Um, you Richard know. Wilkins? Richard Wilkins. Um, yeah, if Richard Wilkins and Dick Smith got together, you'd have <laughs> Richard Wilkins and Dick Smith together. You'd have a big dick. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, uh, that was but I think Stephen you just Kim. get that. You, you don't need both of them. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yes, you don't. <laughs> uh, if the rumours no, are correct. Don't, don't if the rumours are correct, Do not Kev. go there, Brian. Do not right. go there. All right. Do not go there. I'm not That was Stephen any. Kilby. That was Stephen Kilby. And, and he was terrific, Kev. Was. I don't know why you did get distracted so much. <laughs> <laughs> He's now changed his name by deed pole to Richard Kilby, but anyway. Richard Kilby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he could be in the fugitive. Now, that's so, uh, terrific to have Stephen on, and we'll, we'll talk to him again in the future because he's, uh, he's an interesting man who's quite obviously prolific as, and uh, no doubt uh, on the back of that uh, Hall of Counterfeits uh, album, which is available, he'll have another one in the next ten minutes, because he's just not <laughs> like tomorrow. Well, he works quickly, so... Yes, he does. While we quickly, were doing though. this segment, he's done an album. He's bloody good. He's done a triple album. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't work that quickly, no, but he does quite. make quality work. So that's all it's that matters. Very good stuff. And uh, that version of Milky Way was by uh, B.B. Bettencourt, who, of course, is Susie DeMarchi's and uh, Nuno Bettencourt's daughter, who's a very good actress as well as being a particularly good singer on that song. Uh, Nuno so I hope, Bettencourt, hope that's that. a butte name, isn't it? Bettencourt, yeah. What's Nuno? Nu- Nuno Bettencourt. He was the lead Nuno. singer of Extreme. Nuno Remember Nuno More Than Words? Oh, Yeah. Which you didn't like. I did like it. It <laughs> sounded like the Beatles. They were ripping off the Beatles. Oh, you yeah, was not. They were ripping us but, off. I'll tell but, you what, Ken. Now, let's get to our next guest. Oh, it's time to fall in love, everybody. It is. with, uh, And it's, it's a wonderful love story, and I think you're going to really enjoy this because uh, our next guest, well-known uh, from here white in Australia witch. as a white witch, as a... Def FX was the band that uh, probably uh, propelled her into, into stardom. But Launched her, Yeah, and been on the radio and done all sorts of things. It is, of course, the wonderful Fiona Horn. And what an interesting life she's led. We want to talk to you about Spiff and Fifi, and you've got to st- you've got to tell everyone the love story here because there's a lot of people who wouldn't know how this kind of came together. Yes, so I'm very happy to talk about that. Right. So right. you and Dave have known each other for a long time. Yes, we met 30 years ago. I was in a band called The Mothers, an all-girl punk group. This was in the late 80s. And Dave was in a wonderful surf, kind of rock-heavy surf cool band called The, the Hellmans. Uh, we, we were both signed to Waterfront Records, which back then was a really great independent record store that put out a lot of vinyl. And so we're on Waterfront. We do these gigs together. But we also studied at Natural Therapies 
College. It was a college called Nature Care in St. Leonard's in Sydney. We were both studying natural medicine there. So we kind of were meeting out of gigs. We're sharing a stage. We're sharing a classroom. And then we ended up sharing a bed. There you go. Natural progression. (laughs) Natural progression, of course. But we actually really um, had so much in common and it was a, we really connected on a very deep level, but maybe a little too deep for when you're that young, you know, you just, we knew there was something really strong between us, but life took us in different directions. So he actually broke up with me, went back to his old girlfriend and I ended up joining Death Effects and Death Effects, my band in the nineties, you know, really exploded. And so for seven years, I was like traveling all around Australia and then the world, you know, like going over to America three times and Asia up through Singapore and Hong Kong and all areas like that to, you know, do the death effects thing. And I, and David actually, uh, his band finished in the early nineties after doing a couple of big day outs and stuff. And he came back over to WA where he's from and ended up, you know, falling in love, raising a family. And he's got three great kids. They're all grown up in their twenties now. And, and, you know, so our lives sort of went in very different directions. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Right. Until here. <laughs> so you want, to, you want to hear part of the yeah. story? Yeah. Oh, no, come on. Yeah. It's like it, this is great. Okay. So it's got a bit of rock and roll. It's got definitely, you know, young love. And then we jumped to, you know, 30 years in, into the future, and that was last year pretty much. I actually moved to the US in uh, 2001 and I was doing my books and TV and, you know, music I kind of didn't really, you know, do again in, in any major way after Death Effects. I did a solo album and stuff, but I was over in the States with, doing very well with my books on witchcraft. I had a major television show that I starred in over there on the Sci-Fi channel, so, and I got a lot of radio work, so I was having a pretty good run living in LA and working in LA. In um, uh, from 2001 to about 2011, and then I started to think I wanted to reinvent my life a bit, and I started flying airplanes. I had a goal to fly humanitarian aid, and the long story short is I did end up in the Caribbean doing that for the last seven years, up until last year. Now, obviously, with the crazy COVID situation, I lost my job as soon as all the lockdowns started. The aviation industry was grounded. You know, I was working as a commercial pilot flying on-demand charter in the Caribbean, and I actually got a new job flying a really great bigger airplane for a drop zone in California. So even thinking of doing some flying in LA, and that was the actual job I lost. I went back to the Caribbean and was thinking about life, and, and I noticed one night that my Instagram messages light up, and there was a message from this guy called Spiff, and I looked at it, and because the picture of his, his profile it was the picture of a, a flared pair of pants, like an old 70s flared pant leg, and it had the real thing on it, like a Coca-Cola sort of symbol, the real thing. Yep. I'm looking at it going, who is this, this guy? And then I realized there was another message from the year before, and I'd actually been in Australia briefly in 2019 doing a little step effect tour and a book tour, and he sent me a message the year before. said, hey, this uh, year, you know, you can see you're doing cool stuff. If you ever want to get over to WA and play some guitar with me, that'd be fun. And I replied nicely and said, oh, it's really nice of you to offer, but I don't know, uh, you know, once you're getting over there, you've got to go back to the pretty and back to my job. And I really had no idea who this person was, but I always reply to emails and messages. And so anyway, then last year I see, you know, this message from this character again this time about being healthy and a difficult time in the world. 
And I'm, wait a minute, Fitz, the helmet. Oh, my God. I realised who he was. I wrote back. but oh, my God, because Fitz is his nickname, you know. And we started talking. And this was May 10th, the full moon last year, that we started talking a lot. Just Instagramming messages, Facebook messaging, and then we started watch that video messaging, saw each other again, like through, you know, good old digital communication. And we're like, there was a spark. You know, mind you, I'm back in the Caribbean now because my LA job was grounded. I went back to the Caribbean and just was thinking, what the hell do I do? What's everyone? Like everyone was thinking in the, around the world during this first wave of COVID crazy, what the hell are we doing? What's going on? You know, this is like, it's disastrous. But David and I had lit this spark. So we came up with this crazy plan. There were actually plans A through to F, like uh. that many. We went with plan E, I think, from memory. Plan E was, I hightailed it from the Caribbean to LA. I got on a repatriation flight. I got into ISO in Melbourne for two weeks. David drove across the country. He calls it like his, his my knight coming to me in his on his white steed, which was actually his big white truthy. <laughs> you know, and then we see each other for the first time in 30 years. And, you know, you wonder, you get, I got really nervous the morning of it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm really, this is it. This isn't fairy tale fantasy land. This isn't, you know, the night coming for Rapunzel in the tower, letting her out of the tower <laughs> as I've been locked up in this bloody hotel tower for, you know, the last two weeks. All of a sudden, just got this terrible wave of panic and thought, what have I done? I've given up my whole life. I worked so hard for, and then I thought, don't take it so seriously. You know, it doesn't have to be forever. This, you, this is an adventure and just, just give it a chance, you know, because I'd actually got to a point in life where I was quite happy living single. I'd gone through a very sad, very difficult divorce back in 2010 I was finally healed from that happy with my job and my life working hard as a pilot you know being useful in the world doing flying animal rescue and humanitarian aid and my time off you know and felt useful and happy and fulfilled even if life was tough I still felt fulfilled but now here I am taking a crazy chance on love and laying my heart open again you know for a guy I dated 30 years ago anyway so we get there Oh, the taxi dropped me off at the beach where we've agreed to meet. There he was, standing there. And I was like, I mean, I still get my heart pounds when I remember this moment. I was oh, my God. And he's smiling. He's looking at me. So I did the first thing that came naturally. Can you guess what it was? You kissed him. Uh-oh. I did. <laughs> I walked straight up to him and gave him a big kiss. And we just laughed. And then we got in the city and drove across the country and started a new life together and also started a project called uh, Spit and Fifi, which is basically singing songs about our story and our relationship. And that's why our first single that's just come out is called Stumbling In. It's a cover, but the lyrics yeah. absolutely match our journey. Laying my and heart on the table, Stumbling In, yes. Yes, Stumbling In, foolishly, foolishly laying our hearts on the table, Stumbling In. That's why we wanted to record the song. And we actually filmed the video. In our home studio, um, you see it, and you also see Zari the dingo. We're out in the garden with her, and then there's also scenes of us down at our local beach where we just went surfing this morning. This is the bit, Fiona, where the voiceover bloke comes on and says, and they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> our love is alive, so we begin Flame, burning within. 
is not always a fairy tale, even though our started like one, but you can make it a fairy tale if you choose to start each day with a fresh approach and a, a sincere desire to make it work. And after being single for so long and going through the heartache that I went through, you know, in the years of it, um, I just feel very grateful to have, as a, as a woman at this point in my life, to have a, a partner appear. And we're also really, like, that, that I feel I can still be myself with, you know, and, and to respect me. And then, also, uh, we're both glad that we didn't do it back then. You know, that we, we're glad we went off and lived the lives we live, you know, and separate and, dif- and different. But we're really happy to be together now. And it's almost like that twin twin flames kind of energy, you know. But um, I think I cast a spell too. I did, actually. <laughs> that's what I've made this happen too. The full reveal, the last thing I'll say, anyone who's listening and might know that Fiona Horn writes a lot of books about witchcraft and actually is a witch as well as singing in bands and playing guitar and doing everything that I've done and do now. Um, but obviously I've had a lot of books out on witchcraft. And I wrote in my witch's journal back in 2018 when I was kind of, you know, before COVID crazy, before everything, I was still working as a pilot, flying the Caribbean, good life, finally healed heart, amazing girlfriends, I'm everyone's favourite babysitter. I love animals. I've got so much love in my life. But no, I wrote in my witch's journal, if something was to happen and someone was to enter my life now, they would have to be like this. And I basically wrote that they would have to be, if they'd ever been married, to be a healthy, relaxed, you know, amicable part with, with their partner, their wife, uh, that kids would be grown up, mature, and would really like me if I met them. And that this person would eat the same things that I do, enjoy the, love the ocean, um, enjoy music and fun and adventure and would be funny and kind and but be themselves, you know, like be, have, have their own strong identity. And I wrote all this stuff down. And David kind of fits that description to a T. You know, if there's anyone out there interested in how, we, how magic works and spells work, you always, I've learned in all these years of practice now, so over 30 years, I have learned that you, there's always a sacrifice of kind. You need to give up something in order to make room for the next big thing. And don't ever be afraid to let go and take a chance. Well, you should write a book of that story because yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's a great romance, romance story, isn't it? It's well, terrific. It's, I think I hope it inspires people. We both hope that it inspires people to, to know that it's never too late to meet your soulmate and take a chance on love. You know, in, in the most difficult times, really good things can happen. 
we just hope that our story puts a smile on people's faces and helps them feel optimistic and hopeful. It, it is good to be alive. It is good to be human. And it is good to take a chance on love. Absolutely. Wow. I really like what you said about you've got to give something up before you can get something new or something. I think that's really, really inspired. That's great. One bit you didn't mention, which um, it just has got my, it's piqued my interest, it's the fire dancing. Could you tell me a little bit about the fire dancing, please, Fiona? <laughs> well, it's like, yes, I love fire dancing. I've done it professionally. Um, I started fire dancing in my mid-40s when I moved to the island. I joined a troupe over there. I used to go along and watch their fire dancing shows, you know, spinning poi and dancing with fans and wands and eating fire and all this fun stuff. And I'd watch them and think it was so much fun. And I missed performing. You know, I'm over there flying airplanes in the Caribbean and building a career, and but I missed performing. And so I joined the troupe. I asked the girls if I could train with them, and they let me in. We were Kiki and the Flaming Gypsies. Kiki is the lead side <laughs> dancer, and I was her, her number one dancer with her. <laughs> At a point when I got good enough, I was right up there with her. I still love fire dancing. I, I've done it here in Australia uh, when, you know, just for fun in the backyard, but also for a couple of venues. They booked me to fire dance and we have the insurance and I dance. Would you consider doing it as part of, like, you think you can get FX back on the road soon? We actually have reformed for a one-off um, charity event for a very good cause over in Brisbane. It's called Rockin' for the Homeless. And it's happening on July 17th, and we're performing with the Hoodoo Gurus and the Super Jesus, which oh, is wow. super right. awesome, and a ton of um, awesome local bands. So it's a huge event. If anyone is listening, wants to check it out. It's Rockin', R-O-C-K-I-N, for the number four, The Homeless, 2021. You can easily find it on Facebook, or the tickets are through Odd and all that. But yeah, rock, and so on my um, pages, too, on all my socials, it's advertised, and Deficit's and socials, but... Yeah, anyway, so we're going to reform for that. I don't know if I can do fire on that. Today, <laughs> so I'm not oh, sure. come on, Fiona, but, give it a go. <laughs> but listen, you know what? You, you're really psychic. Yeah, definitely, Kevin, I think you must be because you, you mentioned it first. But the um, various, I know I haven't talked about Sea Witch a lot and I don't want to overload you with stuff if I haven't already, but Sea Witch is the heavy rock band that David and I have formed. Incredibly, um, we have a EP coming out too. Um, we put it on vinyl, a debut vinyl EP for tracks, and we're launching that at a very cool event called the Witches Ball in Perth at the Recobite Hall. You're a busy right. lady. That's fantastic. Look, it's just it's a lovely story, and uh, and there's obviously so much uh, for the future for for both you and for David. It's uh, it's fantastic. Well done. Good on you. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Brian. I know I've taken over this whole interview. No, that's no, 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 story. No, no, no. That's been good. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks so much, Brian. Really lovely coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you. And it's a great version of stumbling in. We love it. Oh, cheers. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Really good. It's really great. Good on you, Fiona. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. The lovely Fiona Horn. That's a a, a beautiful love story, and I, I hope that uh, we get to hear a lot more of Spiff and Fia- Fifi. I was going to say Fiona. Spiff and Fifi. That stumbling in is Spiff massively and uh, popular too. Fifi, Kev. Done very well. Not Spiff on Fifi. The it's number one uh, streamed country song around the uh, around the traps, that one is. So what, good on really? it. Really? I hope to hear good. some more stuff from that. And good from Sea Witch. We'll talk to her about Sea Witch in, uh, in forthcoming episodes too, which is the band that her and Dave uh, have put together, which is the, uh, the heavy metal band. 
She's led a very, very interesting life, this woman. She has. I'm going to get her put a spell on you too if I can, if I'm going to work Well, out. okay. Well, I was talking to Susie Quattro during the week oh, and uh, she <laughs> was really looking forward to the Fiona Horn interview. Have you spoken she's... to Mark Lane at uh, Murcott's? Have you given him a buzz? Uh, I'll give you his number. It's 1300 555 576. Ring him. I've got a mate, actually, that I should we should send down to him because this bloke is the worst driver I have ever seen in my life. He drives like he's pissed out of his mind even when he's sober. Right. You know, when you're driving the car, you can't look out the side window and see what's going on. You've got to look forward. I think that's a very important thing. Well, you've got to have peripheral vision and all those things when you drive. Well, this guy does, and he just likes to look around at all the scenery while he's driving. No, 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 no. no, That's fine if you're the passenger. Yes, that's, that's fine right. If you're the passenger, though, normally well, when I'm the passenger, I'm sitting there absolutely crapping myself. Well, I'm a, pre- I'm I'm a pretty bad passenger. Yeah, me too. Can I go to Mercot's and they'll teach me how to be a better passenger? No, no, they'll teach the person who's driving your car to be a better driver, and then it's easier to be a passenger. All right, so I'll just drag them down to Mercot's exactly. rather than rather than go to passenger school myself. Exactly. One three hundred five 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 seven six Mercot's dot edu dot au. Uh, give them a call. Uh, support them because they've been fantastic for us, and we thank Mark and the team down there. They have for being good, solid citizens and teaching uh, people to be better drivers. Uh, well, you, uh, better world for all of us. Do you know who just signed up to go do some uh, advanced training? With, oh, uh, let me guess. Have a guess. Alice Cooper? Alice Cooper, <laughs> Mickey Dolenz, Susie Quattro, yep. Leo Sayer, Johnny Rotten. They're yep. all they're all going down there. Frankie Holden? Frankie Holden's going down there. Will Wild, he's already been. He's driving excellently now. Um, what Dick was Smith. the only person I've ever seen who drives like he's in a, a, a Jason recliner, not in a car seat? Yeah, well, actually, Maxie War in the X-Men drives like that. He likes to lie down while he's yeah, driving. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that works for anybody, particularly if you're the passenger in that car. It works all right for the driver, not for yeah, the passenger, terrific. and not for the other cars on the road. But yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. Uh, Murcotts will sort all that out for you, one three hundred five 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 seven six. Hey, that's the end of the show. I'm going to finish with this uh, other Stephen Kilby song from the Hall of Counterfeits uh, album, which is available around the place. This one that we're going to finish on is called Swinging on the Moon. Swinging on the Moon. Mm-hmm. I thought it was called Swinging on the Moon, then we can piss off to wherever. <laughs> no, that's what, that's I told what you, you said to me that's what in I the said lead up to this. You said, on we'll play Piss show. Off to the Moon and then we'll piss <laughs> off to wherever. So yeah. the song is just called Swinging on the Moon. Yeah, that's the reason why I don't give you a typed up running sheet. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just, because at the bottom of the running sheet, say, now you can go back to bed, Brian. Is that are we playing that one as well? Yeah, we are. So we're playing the the moon song, piss off wherever, and then now you can go back to bed, Brian. Yeah, that's how prolific Steve is. He's written those two written songs, those two while, two we're songs while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, you take care of yourself, and we will talk to you again well, very it's shortly. A bit late now. <laughs> the life. <laughs> it's not retrospective, is but it? Take care of yourself. Oh, why did you tell me that fifty years ago? Right. Uh, that's it. The life of Brian. Dot, 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 Mannix, that is. See you, Brian. Oh, okay. Me and Mickey Dolan's going to go play tennis.